0: Hey, yo, what's good, Internet? It's the Harvest of Colin Atrophy, and I'm very happy to welcome you to episode number 49 of Life Harvester Radio. We're almost at 50, you guys. That's wild. It's been so many years, though. It's not that impressive. Um, but anyway, this episode is great. This episode, my guest is my very charming friend, Raquel Namuche, who is insecure that she doesn't have a Queen's accent. But I dare you... To listen to the way she says, but you do support him, uh, like three quarters of the way through the episode, talking about some people repping for um, shithead Ridgewood politician Bob Holden and not hear the same exact inflection on the vowels as uh, Nicki Minaj. If you didn't know, I'm a Barb. Any fucking way. Raquel rules. This podcast, this interview is great. It made me a little nervous because, uh, well, Raquel is a community organizer who has been organizing tenants in her neighborhood of Ridgewood. Um, she's lived in Queens basically since she came to the States from Peru at seven years old. And um, she talks a little bit about some in, some just unpleasant experiences she had with uh, white anarchists in her neighborhood. Um, And they're people that I grew up with, and I was scared that the interview would hurt their feelings. And it's just too important not to run. So here you go.
1: So I'm from Peru. I was born in Peru. I was born in Lima. Um, and I came to the States when I was just seven. And I, uh, I crossed the border with my mom. My mom was in her early 30s. Um, I don't know how I tell this story of like how I don't know how my father convinced my mom to cross the fucking border. <laughs> because they had already been separated. Like my dad came first. He crossed Mm -hmm. the water first and then from here, he like, I guess would call my mom constantly and, and just, he convinced her. Um, And (laughs) it's it's weird because like my dad, I mean, I'm going to just say it like he was abusive, you know?
0: Sure. Um,
1: And, um, you know, I, I don't know what, what it was, um, but I think it all had to do with like giving me a better, a better future. Right because we were poor and um and uh, i I guess maybe my mom thought i would be doing better here which i don't know if that's how it turned out but (laughs) sure
0: oh boy um do you remember being in lima as a kid
1: i do um i come i was born in uh part of lima that's called san juan de miraflores so it's like a very poor part of lima it's on like the outskirts of the city um and it's a house that my father's grandmother raquel built i was named after my grandmother um i never met her because she died she was hit by a car um, she And so she died when my father was like 14, 15 years old, but I was named after her. Um, and so basically, the this part of Lima was like basically a shanty town. It was like deserted and, um, you know, folks kind of settled the land, um, made their own houses. Um, and now it's like a full-fledged little neighborhood. But um, I guess what I remember is like unpaved streets. I remember... Um, the street vendors outside who sold chifa, which is like this fusion of like Peruvian and Asian food. Um, I remember going to like the local uh, grocery store to buy like Inca cola for my mom. Mm-hmm. Um, like she would give me like the money and she would like watch me as I I, I you know walk down the street. Um, I remember a happy childhood. Um like yeah. that 's because my father wasn't around um uh, and I was you know my family was poor, like we were very poor, but like when my father came to the states, he sent us money, so we were fairly comfortable at that point like I remember getting Alf dolls mailed to me um I remember getting Barbie dolls mailed to me um and every time my father sent my mom money, we would go to Miraflores, which is like the fancy part of Lima um to get the money and we would buy papas, and my mom would buy, you know, whatever I needed for me. Um, so I guess at that point, after my father came here, we were fairly comfortable, right. Because my father would send us money.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, did you, did like, what, what was your like sort of imaginative or like play kind of life? Like, like, did you, did you listen to music? Did you, you know what I mean? Like, what was the sort of, was there a pop culture that you were accessing? Well, I mean, like in Peru or? In Peru, yeah. I was, I mean, I was
1: really, I mean, I was a baby. Yeah,
0: um, you were so young. Okay.
1: Yeah. No, I was a baby, but I remember all the music my mom would put on TV. Mm-hmm. Um, and like Chicas del Can, you know, like all those like, you know, like bands from like um mid eighties, like salsa, merengue, and all that stuff. Um, so I, I grew up listening to that, but I also remember watching a lot of American TV, like, (laughs) um, that was big. And I remember like my cousins were always over because I was the one with the toys Mm -hmm. that my father would send to, to me. Um, and yeah, I, I, I have like really happy memories from being in Peru. Um, I have no complaints but that was also like a time in in Lima where there was like or in Peru in general where there was like just a lot of like internal conflict and civil unrest and I feel like um I I was happy because I wasn't in direct contact with any of that but I remember you know when our lights would go off um because like someone had shut down like the local utility company or you know
0: fuck oh, yeah um,
1: but thankfully I wasn't ever really close to that. Um, but I think Peru, I have happy memories of Peru. Um, but I haven't been back since I, since I left when I was seven.
0: Oh my goodness. Wow. Um, how did you, how did you travel when you left?
1: Um, we, you know, I wish I had more details of our journey, but, um, I believe, and my mom also thinks that I just blocked it all out. Mm -hmm. Um, But we traveled along South America um, from Panama. I think it was when we traveled, like, by plane to Honduras or something. And um, just, like, buses and trucks and a lot of walking. Um, We crossed through California. um, And we had a very traumatic trip when we were in Mexico that I don't remember much of because I think um, I think I just blocked it all out. But my mom tells me um, how someone on our team, like, you know, we, it was like a family friend um, that like fell down a hill and was badly hurt. Um, one of the people that was coming with us died Um Just, like, kind of really heavy, like, violent stuff. Um, But we were very lucky. My mom, towards the end, uh, in in the Mexican-U.S. border, um, she kind of, like, towards the end of our trip, my mom tells me she almost gave up. But there was, like, a nice man who was with our group that carried me on his shoulders because my mom was just so fucking tired. Um, Oh, my God. And I think she was just very scared. But also – very strong for even making that trip to begin with um and you know there was a lot of migration in in like the 90s very different from now so i feel like the reason we made it was because the the political landscape was way different then very unfriendly still right but way different than now like right now you've got people who are literally like you know people who are like just like very vicious and will um, uh, just like make your trip impossible. Right. Not even like the police um, or the government, like government officials, but like literally just people who are like, like uh, we don't want immigrants in our country and we'll do whatever they can um, to prevent you from crossing that, that border. Um, But I think had we, Had we made that trip now, I don't think we would have survived.
0: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, I can't imagine um, having that kind of strength to like bring a child. um, Oh, crazy. Through. Yeah. I never do that. I'm not that strong. Yeah. No, it's just unbelievable. I mean, it's like unbelievable that your mom was able to do that
1: it's yeah she was like in her early 30s and you know she's yeah I mean she's a very strong person for doing that I mean she's one of the strongest people in my life um and my dad too like my dad he crossed the border um even with his disability um I'm like exposing my father (laughs) well I mean people know but like he's he had polio when he was little and so he has a bad leg um his left leg is atrophied, and even even with that, he made the trip on his own. You know, um, wow. at one point, the person that he hired, that he gave like thousands of dollars to, left him, and he had to figure out the journey on his own, and he made it. Um, and that's to me so incredible, and like that's why I always feel guilt, and I feel oh, sorry, and I feel like this is something a lot of immigrant kids suffer from, like that immigrant guilt, um, because your parents literally came with nothing. Right. Right. Um, and you're just like, here going to punk shows. <laughs> I don't
0: know. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I felt like, do you, I, my, my parents, parents are immigrants, you know, so I'm like the next generation or whatever in terms of uh, migration patterns. But um, yeah. do you ever, and I have a different kind of guilt where it's like my parents had these really scrappy childhoods and I have like, I had a much more, like drastically more um, stable childhood. And now yeah. I'm just going to punk shows. Yeah. <laughs> like the same thing. But d- like, but then sometimes I feel like um, that's what my parents worked for was so that I could just go to punk shows so that I wouldn't have to be... Like, I obviously, you yeah. and I both do other stuff as well. Yeah. But like the kind of um, comparative ease yeah. is like feeling guilty for that is totally understandable and like i get where those feelings come from but also like feeling that ease is actually why my parents scraped and worked and stuff so that i could feel the ease that they didn't and yeah and i think it's it's probably a similar situation
1: yeah i mean i think my the the great thing about my parents i love them um you know the i think the great thing about them is that they've never put any pressure on me to like be a doctor, be a lawyer, be this and that, you know, they just o- have always wanted me to like, just be safe, you know, mm-hmm. just like make it, you know? Yeah. Um. So, yeah, I-, I feel very lucky in that respect that I've never had any kind of pressure from them to be a certain type of person. Uh, they just wanted me to be a good, healthy person, you know?
0: Yeah, for sure. That's fantastic. Yeah. Um. So w- where was your dad when you, when you and your mom crossed?
1: He was, uh, Part, partly he was in New Jersey, like working in factories in New Jersey, mm-hmm. and then also in Queens. Um, and uh, he worked in um, factories where they made um, like mannequins out of wood and all kinds of things out of wood. Um, he's a woodworker. Um, and I consider him an artist, but um, I don't know if he thinks of himself in that way, but he can basically make anything out of wood, um, bowls, cups, uh, candlesticks, whatever. Um, and, uh, yeah, he just, like, worked, worked, worked really hard for a year in order to save money for my mom and myself, Um and then we came, uh, when we came, we came to live for like a few months it, to this room, into this room in Corona that he was living in, mm-hmm. um, just like a, basically a room in Corona. And then yeah. we, we all lived there for like a couple of months. And then we moved to a one bedroom f- uh, home in Jackson Heights. Um, and that's where I spent a good deal of my childhood.
0: Yeah. And you, um, you know, my mom grew up in Corona. Corona's amazing. It's I like one Corona. of my favorite neighborhoods. It's, it's so, I love walking around Corona with my mom. Cause she's just like, okay, that CVS used to be a funeral Paula. Yeah. That's where <laughs> I did. acid the first time I used to make out underneath the, what is the fucking globe in Flushing Meadows park called? I can never remember the, the Unisphere. I used the, to make out with, uh, with my boyfriend, uh, you know, whatever the f- I, she had a boyfriend named Razzo or something. You know, mm-hmm. I can't, <laughs> just <laughs> I like
1: very Queens.
0: Yeah, or... <laughs> unbelievable. Um, but yeah, yeah, Corona's amazing. Ja- yeah, Jackson Heights is a great neighborhood too. What? Um, where you went, you went to school in Queens?
1: Yeah, um, yeah, I went to school in uh, well for elementary school when I came here. I was supposed to. Um, start second grade. Mm-hmm. But my mom because uh, she thought I, I needed to start from scratch, she put me in first grade. <laughs> no, shit. And uh, I the school I went to was yeah, in Corona. But um, you know, for half a year, so I was in a bilingual class, like an ESL class. But everyone just spoke Spanish. So I didn't learn anything. And like, like after half a year, my parents were like, Oh, my God, she's not learning any English. <laughs> and so they shipped me away to Florida west palm beach and that's where i lived for the rest of the year
0: whoa and that's
1: where i learned english and so maybe i think some people say oh you don't have a peruvian accent uh or like you don't you know where's your accent from i don't think i have a new york i don't know what a
0: new york accent is I'm but yo you say some vowels so queens it's unbelievable oh really
1: that's funny (laughs) i that feels really good thank you that's a really nice compliment um but yeah, I learned English um, in Florida uh, with a bunch of white people. Um,
0: I what was one it, of two brown people. How did you, who was there that you like, who did they, where did they send you?
1: My aunt and my uncle and my cousin ah. there. Yeah, in West Palm Beach. Um, and um, over there, I had some terrible times, but also some great times. I remember sure. my teacher miss diane she would even like tutor me after school so that was really nice of her um and i learned i picked up english really quickly of course um and um yeah and then i came back and um my mom una- like had another opportunity to like put me in the correct grade and she said no and um i think she always <laughs> feels guilty that i was always like a grade behind in school um and i yeah, and I've always had like a weird relationship with schooling in general. Um, have always been like a very different kind of person, mm-hmm. <laughs> even from very little. Um, and so I forget the what, like the name of my school in elementary, but um, you know, I, I um, I love school, and I feel like um, because my parents were never around when I was home. Um, Because, you know, they would be working. I feel like um, I got a lot out of school because, like, my teachers were kind of like my parents in many ways. Yeah. Um, And I've always befriended, like, older people. So, like, I never really had friends. I always just, like, befriended my teachers for some reason.
0: Wow. (laughs) I was a very interesting. little kid. I mean, you're a strange adult but um, I, adult. <laughs> I totally, I totally buy that. The, yeah. um, and when do you start um, disappointing your parents by going to punk show? Not that they were disappointed. I'm joking. Uh, <laughs> I don't think they even knew. I, I
1: don't, I think they just trusted me. Yeah. Um. But so in middle school,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I started going online. My father got me a compact computer.
0: Uh huh.
1: Um, and I got AOL Yeah, and I started browsing online and I, I think it was like in the third, I was like 13 years old. I discovered, or like 14, I, um, I think it was the chainsaw message board. Um, you remember that? Were you ever on that?
0: I, um, only lurked. I didn't ever post, but yeah, I definitely. I also
1: never posted really.
0: It's, Um, um. I'll talk yeah. about this outside the interview, but this the chainsaw me- message board factors really heavily into the novels I'm writing.
1: Oh, okay. That's <laughs> <It's>, so cool.
0: <laughs> because it's incredible.
1: Like it was like a very formative time of my life where I yeah. like I mean, of course I was politicized just by the very fact of being an immigrant kid, right? Yeah. Like I remember being on the seven train when I was like twelve, thirteen, and like some white dude, older man was like Get out of here. Why are you sitting here? Like, don't sit here. Go back to your country. Like, you know, so like just by being I was very politicized, but like formatively, I think like punk really did it for me. Right.
0: Um, Fuck, the chainsaw message. That's incredible.
1: That's how I discovered like team, of course, Team Dredge and like Uh all these other bands. Um, Of course, Bikini Kill. Um, Yeah. And I started going to shows at ABC No Rio when I was fourteen years old, fourteen, fifteen.
0: Yeah, what uh, so year was that?
1: Um, God, um, I was in eighth grade. Um, let me, I can. Do I just math. wonder
0: if we overlapped there.
1: So I'm thirty-seven.
0: Oh, you're, you, yeah, no. So yeah, we definitely were there at the same time because I'm thirty-eight. I, don't, I can't do the math. I'm, I'm. It doesn't matter what year it was. I'm thirty-eight, <laughs> and I start if you. So I was a year older than you. So I would have been um 15 15 and that would have been 23 years ago yeah 1998 i was definitely at no rio every saturday of 1998. me too
1: i mean i am surprised i mean so okay so i was weird i mean i was the weirdest of them all and i i did make a lot i made some friends i wouldn't say i made a lot of friends but like i was always a kind of weird person that would go to shows but like not talk to anyone because i just really loved the music
0: Yo, the um, thing is though, I yeah. have met so many people and not to interrupt, or I guess I yeah, yeah. interrupted who cares
1: uh-huh.
0: We're both from New York. We can handle a little interrupting. Oh, yeah, for sure. um, I would go there with my friend Juan and we would only talk to each other. And, <laughs> and I, and this one kid win the skin that I played dice with for cigarettes sometimes. Um, and um, who's an angel. He does a really good zine uh, actually that I think you would, I'll tell you about this also off the, nice. uh, or no, I'll, I'll Shout it out. Um, Bridge yeah. and Tunnel Crowd. It's called Bridge and Tunnel Crowd. It's like a communist hockey newspaper. He was like um, like a kind-hearted, patriotic skinhead as a teen. And then I'm not sure what happened when, between when we lost touch and became friends again, but he's like an immigration activist now. And oh, what's um, his last name? Witkowski. Uh, okay. He's in, he lives in New Haven and um, he okay. does a bunch of, yeah, I'll-, I'll I'll just put you guys in touch. Actually, you guys should be,
1: that'd be pretty cool.
0: Um, but yeah, you'd love his zine. It's like, a i I describe it jokingly as a communist hockey newspaper, but I also, (laughs) it's like, um, it's like if Jewish currents was the zine that someone was selling on the, like on the way out of the crown of thorns show. Oh God. (laughs) You know what I mean? There's like, it's fantastic.
1: Um, and I would love to, yeah, no, I would
0: love to connect with him. Yeah, I'll for I... sure put you guys in touch. But, but anyway, the, the, this experience that I've had with so many people I've met as adults who were at the same exact, like, same. oh, were you at yeah. that anti-product show? Were you at that Columbus Day show where Dead Prez didn't show up? And like, um, were you at the, this show or that show? Like, yeah. we were all at these same shows and, and no, none of us ever talked to each other because we all just thought that everyone was cool and knew each other except us.
1: That's exactly how I felt. Like I yeah. felt very awkward, and I felt like I was not good enough to like be social with other cool people. But like it wasn't. It that's. I mean, maybe that was like my self esteem, but it was actually a welcoming space. Now that mm-hmm. I. I mean, like in hindsight, it was like I don't even know why I didn't make such good friends. Um, but I guess I've always been antisocial, even in
0: like antisocial settings. <laughs> I, yeah, I mean the way that we met was very antisocial. <laughs> you remember how we met? I was I was buying food at a food truck, and you screamed at me from across the street. I hope you're gonna tip. You still have to tip food trucks. And yeah. I was like, "Whoa, who are you?" And you were like, "Where are you from? What are you doing in Ridgewood?" And I was like, wow. "I'm from Westchester. Uh, I live here." My, I like it here. My uncle used to live down the street. Oh, and he was like, okay. I yeah. was like, I tip every time you were like, okay, cool. Yeah. I actually just saw you at the, you, like, we're both leaving the same punk show. I just was, yeah, just <laughs> <laughs> it was so I'm funny actually, though. I mean, it was yeah. so, I, that's like the, that's a, it's a perfect way to, to introduce yourself to me. Cause I love to be, um picking up <laughs> yeah i like to be yelled at by a mean woman you know what i mean yeah. like,
1: like, <laughs> i love to yell
0: yeah no, i know i <laughs> know we're friends yeah uh,
1: <laughs>
0: but yeah no it's uh joking aside like i i totally get um having spent time in in those spaces and been yeah. like and like kind of forging those friendships year, you know it was like six years ago when you years later,
1: literally yeah. years later, I'm meeting people that I probably was hanging out with or in the same space as when I was like 14, 15, 16.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, and like, I definitely was like, I would like steal a bottle of vodka or something, or like we would r- roll a big blunt and share it with everybody. Like I would like try to make friends by doing like sharing booze and, and drugs. <laughs> um, yeah. And so like, I don't know if you drank or did drugs back then, but maybe like we smoked dust back in that backyard or something at well, some point as teens, but I don't.
1: So that's the thing. I never did any of that stuff. Oh, whoa. That's so weird. Like I was around people who were getting high all the time Yeah, and on roofs and stuff. And like, I never did any of that stuff. It's so odd. Um, I don't, I don't really drink that much right now.
0: Yeah. That's interesting. Um,
1: but I think my parents trusted me. Like they knew that when I got on my bike and, you know, and, rode it all the way to the Lower East Side, they knew that I would be safe, you right. know, because they knew I was I had a good head on my shoulders, I guess,
0: you know? So you were um, biking from Jackson Heights to Norio as a yeah, teen? Yeah, on my oh, little that's, bike. That's so cool. As wow. a little
1: teen. Yeah, I, don't I love ride that. I that much anymore. I'm really I love- surprised I, I never, like, was assaulted or – or killed, or like, I don't know. I'm really, I don't know how that happened. But I think maybe it was just luck. Or maybe smarts, who knows?
0: A combination of the two, let's say.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Good instincts. Yeah. Um. Wow, okay, so do you remember like any particular like political ideas that were introduced to you at No Rio? Do you know what I mean?
1: Yeah, I mean, I re- definitely remember seeing a lot of white punk bands right and white mm-hmm. hardcore bands um yeah. um but none of them i mean i would say maybe like someone like submission hold like really stood out to me sure. they were like super political um but the bands that really stood out to me were like the latino punk bands like there was a whole little scene called migra punk um mm-hmm. And those were like the bands I always was dying to see. And those are the folks that I became friends with actually, and I'm still friends with them. Sure. Um so like um God, now I'm remembering I'm blanking out on names. Um, but like um my friend's band, Jose's band, um Noabuse, for example.
0: Like, sure. I know Jose friends. forever. Yeah. He's he's cool. He's so great. Everyone in New York knows Jose
1: yeah no and like those are the bands that like stood out to me yeah and that's like that's what i was trying to find and i found sure. it and it made me so happy um and that's what po- that's basically what politicized me i think that's what also led me to like doing activism and then organizing um, Yeah. so i think it, I, i'm really grateful because it led me down this path of like understanding that um you need to be fighting for what you believe in. Um, because if you're not, you're just dying, you know?
0: Um, yeah, absolutely.
1: Yeah. But Huasipungo, I mean, was,
0: mm-hmm.
1: I mean, they're, they're, most of them are based in Jackson Heights. Um, and uh, that's also like the other band that, you know, I befriended. Um, and they're all like amazing, amazing individuals. And, um, that's, like, the other band that, like, really hit me hard. Like, yeah. uh, this is, like, I really love this. I really believe in this. This is, what, like, what I've been looking for all my life. Um, and it, like, really hits you, you know? Like, there's other people that feel it deeply, too. Because you could hear it through the music and through the lyrics and through the, like, the way a Snyder sings, you know?
0: Yeah, um, absolutely.
1: It's really, yeah. But it, I don't know. I I think um when I was hanging out in the Lower East Side, I was mainly going to the punk shows on Saturdays, but I was also starting to get involved with a lot of activism. So like I would go down the Tompkins Square Park, I would do the Food Not Bombs thing. Mm-hmm. I would go to Chara's, um, did you ever go to Chara's?
0: Yeah, of course, I like, yeah, of course, I definitely yeah. went to parties there, like yeah. the, like Critical Mass after parties and stuff there. Yeah. Um, yeah. Than I ever did anything, like any daytime. Oh my
1: God, Critical Mass, of course. <laughs> I mean, man. Yeah. New York back then was so fucking cool. Like that does not exist
0: anymore. What a time you know? and a place! But there's other really cool stuff now, like there all the what all the kids uh, with Club A. Uh, yes, that, no, are doing that stuff is amazing. Like I, I'm so impressed. It's just uh, so
1: it's got a different feeling, or maybe it's just because I'm not young anymore, and I'm like an old thirty, like older thirty-seven year old that's
0: like depressed all the time. I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean I, it does. I, I think it, I think it's a little bit of both. I'm I'm yeah. gonna say that to everything, but like. Yeah, I think that like we're old now, and also, um, or I don't think we're old, but we're not young. Right, and um, and it and New York feels different. Like New York feels yeah. distinctly different than it did when I was a kid. Man, it was just like such a dynamic
1: time to be doing like going to punctures and like
0: doing activism and yeah, for sure. Yeah. So, what were you doing at Charas?
1: We i was a part of this group called the street harassment project um and that happened like when i was um a-, a little older like 16 17 um and we would have meetings there i mean we would also meet at abc Nario. Mm-hmm. um but yeah i was involved with like different little groups like that and um just you know doing like reclaim reclaim what was that group reclaim the streets something like that Uh yeah Um, like going to those meetings i was just like so in love with all of it and i was like trying to get involved with as many things as possible just like because i was just curious yeah Um, but yeah i was mainly involved with this with this group called the street harassment project i never felt like i could go to like riot girl meetings like i just always knew it kind of wasn't for me for some reason That's so even though I loved the music, like I was such a big fan of all that music.
0: Um, What, yeah, felt like it wasn't for you? I mean, I have guesses, but I'd like to hear.
1: Yeah, I think it's like, um, I mean, it's it's all about race, I think, for me. Like, I always like that's why I like really gravitated towards like, you know, Jose's band and the Snyder's band, right? They were all brown kids saying the shit that I. I was feeling um, and like the same thing with like riot girl New York city chapter meetings i I never like really saw myself in those groups, um, but with the street harassment project, that was a more diverse group mm-hmm. um, and I was the youngest member, and basically we would do like street theater, we had like a cute little song, an anti street harassment song. Uh-huh. Um, we once wanted to do like a bike sort of a patrol where we would like ride down the streets and like, just stop any men that would like harass uh, women, Um And we would do like trainings and workshops. And um, it was like the first activist group that I was really, really involved with that, like, kind of like taught me how to do organizing work.
0: Yeah. That's um, I mean, talk about a time and a place like doing, Street theater as a means to like um, teach strangers about stuff yeah. is such a like Think about that now, and it's like, because I used to do shit like that, you know, and it's like, it, yeah. what is more alienating? To <laughs>
1: but it works though. Like, it yeah, works. I guess like, it does. Maybe you won't capture everyone that walks by, but like, it's right. like a person that lingers and is like, wow, what is this? You know, yeah, okay, your flyer. And, you know, I'll go to your website.
0: <laughs> I guess I just like I did puppet shows on the street for a year, like political nice. puppet shows. Okay, and, it's, and I am uh, mortified. Uh, political puppet shows. Mm. Yeah, it was. I
1: love puppets, but I feel like
0: I don't know. It was. It was a mess. It started during the <laughs> RNC. I can tell you about that later. It's, this interview is not about me, but it's. Um, yeah, it, I think I have. <laughs> I'm self conscious about my po- political puppetry past. That's hilarious. (laughs) Um, Wow. So that's all (laughs) you're still in high school at this point. You're and you're like, yeah, I'm all over the Lower East Side going to meetings. Um, That's incredible.
1: Yeah, I feel like um, I all my best years happened before I was like 20.
0: (laughs) It's really weird. Um, I, can't, I, I mean i look at what you're doing now though and it's so incredible
1: also, oh yeah no of course not not to like um like um not not to like um belittle the work i'm doing now of course but i think as a person i just grew
0: oh lot, sure
1: you know yeah um, And i learned so much and like basically that was the foundation like that was me building a foundation for the person I am now. And now I'm like, you know, the person that yells at random people on the street and doesn't give a fuck about it. You know,
0: yeah, but you, you, sometimes you can just tell someone's going to be your friend. You know what I mean? And like, yeah. <laughs> you knew you had to have like, cause it wasn't malicious. You know, it's like no. it really felt really friend like in a way that's only friendly between New Yorkers, maybe, but like, it felt really friendly yeah. where you were just like, yo, you know, you got a tip. And I was like, I do. Yeah. I'm going to tip. And you were like, all right, Let's walk some people, together.
1: Some people don't like that.
0: I feel well, like. <laughs> people, people are nuts. Yeah. Um, so what um, What high school did you go to?
1: I went to like three different high schools. Uh, <laughs> so I was supposed to. Okay. In middle school, I had an amazing arts teacher. Her name is Miss McGuigan. Um. She was really helpful in helping me get, like, a portfolio together um, for LaGuardia. And that's where I was going to go, I thought. Yeah. (laughs) But I missed, like, the screening date because I think I, like, I basically overslept. Fuck. So I didn't make it. Um, I always thought I wanted to be, like, a photographer, artist. Like, when I was in middle school, my father would buy me canvas and he would, like, make – frames for me and I would paint and I've always like loved being creative and I think that I get that from my parents but um so I missed that screening date um, didn't get to show my portfolio and my se high school was Newtown high school which back then <laughs> was one of the worst schools in New York City yeah um, wow. and I went there for like a a psych like a semester um and it was not great because i mean my parents didn't think it was great i thought it was you know whatever um and uh instead of like doing that whole year there my parents saved some money um and borrowed some money for me to go to saint agnes high school in college point
0: <laughs> oh wow
1: um and that was like an all girls catholic high school sure and I only lasted there like two and a half years
0: Okay. or less,
1: I think. Um, a little less. Um, and I just hated it. Like, I remember we had like a Christian scripture class and they showed us a video of like a um, abortion, like oh. a late stage abortion. Fuck it was so that. weird. And like, I would you know, speak up about it. And I wrote about it in this newspaper. And like, I just, people didn't really like me all that much, I think. Um, Other than my, some of my teachers, like, I remember my math teacher was like, really amazing. Um, And that was also like, the time where I fell into like, a really deep depression. Um, And, you know, and actually what what really saved me was like the activism work that I was doing. Cause like for half a year, I like, I was just depressed. I was, wasn't going to school. My teacher who was amazing would like one of my teachers from like St. Agnes would bring me my homework um, to the hospital. Cause I was like, for a while I was doing like an inpatient program and then an outpatient program at Elmhurst hospital. I was just like really depressed.
0: Sure. Um,
1: And I think what really, made me get better was like the activism work I got involved with um but yeah so I was at Saint Agnes um didn't like it was it was really horrible and um after that I went to god was it mid middle yeah middle college high school in Long Island City right across LaGuardia which is where I also went after that after high school I spent uh a semester, no, a year there at LaGuardia. And then I transferred to Hunter College. Um, but yeah, like schooling for me has always been very, um, um, it, it just was never like a normal thing for me. Cause I always just like wanted to learn what I wanted to learn, you know? Right. Um, and I learned it all outside of school.
0: Yeah. Um, I mean, it seems like there's a tension between your like pretty innate curiosity and inquisitiveness. And,
1: and formal schooling, which I thought was fucked up, you know, right. And like, you're
0: um, also in anti-authoritarianism
1: yeah, from very early on. Yeah. Um. Yeah. And I feel like everything I know about life and that I use for my work now, it's, they are all things I learned out in the streets, you know?
0: Right. Yeah, for um,
1: sure. Doing activism work.
0: Yeah. yeah. Um, what did you study at? Uh, hunter at hunter um
1: liberal arts um Mm -hmm. and sociology um i had like um just like the regular liberal arts degree but i focused on sociology and feminism um and you know i think hunter for me was a fairly good experience but um again like it's a commuter school i just went to classes and then i like went to do my own thing you know um Yeah, I I guess I've never been fond of schooling in general. Um, It's for some people, you know? Yeah. Um, Like, I'm never going to get my master's. I'm never going to go to law school. Like, I'm I'm not going to do any of that because it's unnecessary, I think, for me, right? And maybe this is like the punk kid in me speaking. Um, I think, um, you know schooling in this country is definitely a privilege that not everyone has access to for sure. But, um, it's also overhyped, right? Yeah. <laughs> um, I agree completely. Cause it's, it's not an equitable system for, for everyone.
0: Mm-mm. Um, yeah. Um, and what, what is your activism? Like how does the activist work that you're doing shift as you get older?
1: Yeah, that's it. Yeah. It, um, it's really interesting because, you know, I was doing a lot of like women's rights stuff um, and some immigrant rights work. Um, But after college, I got a job at this organization called the National Latina Institute for Reproductive Health. And it was a reproductive justice organization um, focused on the health of Latina women. Um, and I was only there for a bit because um, one of the policy people there said, hey, there's this other job that I think you would like at the this other organization called nice. Um, it was an organization immigrants rights organization in Jackson Heights. And that's really when I started doing organizing work. Okay. Um, I was working with domestic workers and day laborers. Um, and, uh, and then that's when I realized that you could get paid for doing activisty yeah. things What's I didn't that- know you could make a living. What does the
0: ac- acronym stand for with NOE? Oh,
1: words? yeah. So it stands for New Immigrant Community Empowerment. Whoa. Um, and they're, I mean, they're a small nonprofit, but they're doing really amazing things with, um, with workers in Jackson Heights.
0: Yeah. Um, I feel like that's where it's at in terms of like actual change within communities, is like organ- smaller organizations that are based really centrally in those communities yeah yeah
1: that's I think when I realized that because a lot of the day laborers I worked with and domestic workers had like really unstable housing situations mm-hmm. um that's I think when I realized how important housing was um yeah. we weren't doing any housing based campaigns like we were doing a lot of work around the domestic bill of rights, domestic workers' bill of rights um but I realized how important housing was for the very first time. Um, and then I wasn't doing straight up organizing, I was kind of like doing a lot of social work also, but um, I had the opportunity to go to the Bay Area to do an apprenticeship program with the an organization called the Center for Third World Organizing. And um, this is a, a group that basically trains people of color on organizing skills. And I did that program for four months because I wanted to figure out if organizing was something that I wanted to do for a long time. Sure. And I came back to New York City thinking, God damn, this is what I want to do, you know, yeah. forever. Um, and then I started doing housing, housing organizing work um, when I realized that that was my path.
0: Yeah. Yeah, It's so, you know, I think about it all, I think about housing and like in relation to, I think immigrants and migration and um, like access to capital Yeah. um, all the time, because my, my mom's family, my mom grew up in a household that was like at times food insecure, but they owned their home. Mm. because of the GI bill because my grandfather uh went to world war ii and like so many white GIs got access to um money to buy houses yeah and so they owned a house in corona until the until my my grandma moved to like a apartment building in the mid late 90s maybe um yeah but they. but, like, the, the ways that that access to property was able – like, was a springboard for the next generation in that family to yeah. um, achieve just, like, from incrementally to exponentially greater stability. My mom had seven siblings, so it's, like, yeah. a full spectrum of outcomes. But, like, if they hadn't had that – if they hadn't been able to own that house, who knows what things would have been like because it was, it was tough. Yeah money-wise when they were kids and it's, or my mom was a kid. And like, I don't, I think a lot of them took and take that for granted. Like a lot of white people, I would say in general, just take that sort of thing for granted that like there is, cause like, you know, also when the, when my grandma, my grandma sold that house and bought an apartment in Woodhaven. And then when she passed away, she sold the apartment, the family sold the apartment in Woodhaven. Like, split the money up among a bunch of people. And there's like something at the end, you know? Yeah. Um, And that kind of stuff, I think is really taken for granted among most of the white people I know. Or,
1: uh, or like they prevent people of color from obtaining housing. Right. <laughs> like, I guess one, one thing I'm thinking about is like the, this are like my neighborhood, like here in Richwood. Right. Yeah. And in, and in this general area of Queens where you have like a lot of like Neighborhoods that are sold for single family, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's like a lot of single family zoning and like these neighborhoods are like racist as fuck. Yeah. Right. And they like will protest when homeless shelters are, you know, proposed to be open in their neighborhood or when like in like the fucking 50s and 60s. These are the people that like protested public housing from being built in this area, you know?
0: Right. For Sure.
1: Like they have their own, right? They're good now and like fuck everyone else, basically. Um, that's the kind of shit we deal with. And that's why housing, fighting for housing in this area is so important to me um, because we're fighting back against white supremacists, basically, you know, yeah, like the neighborhood is so racist and you wouldn't think so,
0: but like the history is there for sure. I mean, I live there, I would think that Ridgewood is racist. Personally. Oh, sure. yeah. But yeah. Um, I can tell you're a good organizer because you took my rambling and like seamlessly and gracefully drew it into a point that you were wanting to make anyway. And that was, <laughs> it's so it's so deft. Like, it's just such a good rhetorical skill. I am I was like completely just on like just throwing strands in the air. I had lost my train <laughs> of thought and was just hopelessly flailing, hoping for something to coalesce yeah, yeah. <laughs> and you just like grabbed it all out of the air. And we're like, yes. And check this shit out. This is actually yeah. what my organization does. Um
1: <laughs> there's some, I, I don't know if people um, would be interested in this, but like a lot of white gentrifiers that move into the neighborhood don't understand that like the Nazi party had like, you know, um, offices here, you know, Um And um, that their local stakeholders here that are very powerful, like the leaders of the homeowners associations and the civics groups and all that, the community board, right. They're all like, uh, you know, relatives and um, the sons and daughters, I say of like people back in the forties, fifties and sixties that like protested black kids from being bust into this area, you know, yeah, Um, these are all, those people and my um there's a an article that a writer his name is rico cleffy recently did on this whole history and if people are interested definitely check it out he basically goes through a rabbit hole of the archives of the richwood times which is our local newspaper it's like oh, yeah. the most local paper paper you'll ever read um But he goes through like a a rabbit hole of this newspaper and its archives and details the entire history from like 40s, 50s to the present. And in the end, he gives a nod to our group and, you know, talks about how things are changing because groups like ours are organizing people in this area. Mm -hmm. Um, So people should check that out. I just wanted to like shout that out because it's a very good piece.
0: Yeah, for sure. I'll get um – We'll follow up over email and I'll like, I'll put links to all this stuff into the show notes or whatever. So people oh, be great. Can click. Yeah. Right on it. We'll put a link to, um, Ridgewood tenants union. We'll put a link to whatever you want. And also whatever we talked about. Um, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's nice to do. Um, yeah, it's just, I, I guess like, I'm just going to blabber for a second and then I'm going to cut this out. Cause I forgot what I was thinking. Um, <laughs> I'm very, I'm really enjoying this conversation, first of all. Thank you so much for doing this. You no, were- thank
1: you. Can I just say something? Yeah. This has been, remember how I asked you, like, what can I talk about? Like, can I say this? Can I say that? Mm-hmm. I've listened to, like, basically every episode, and this has been on my bucket list. Really? Yeah. Oh, so
0: my God. Like, oh,
1: my God. Like, wow. Like, they asked me to do this. Yeah. Like, that's pretty cool. So, thank you.
0: <laughs> yeah, of course yeah no it, it would be yeah it was it seemed like an an obvious fit um for very sure. honored for sure yeah i mean i've just seen i've seen so many videos like, like shit that you post online or whatever of you speaking at events and shit you know what i mean or like speaking to a crowd on the street uh and you're so good at this like you're really good at this and it's just I love to scream yeah you're so good at it and like you channel that that rage you access that rage my friend ivy in the bay used to talk about accessing the rage Mm. all the time and like you access the rage so well and really do so much with it and it's real it's like something that i think coming from punk we all have this like um valorization of like anger and violence and kind of just like being fucking pissed yeah like it's not it's not super often that I see someone that comes from, uh, I think, like the same milieu as you and I did, yeah. has really turned that kind of um, like really classic kind of New York aggression into such a fucking sick resource for so many people, you know? Yeah.
1: My best friend, Bianca, talks about, well, I mean, we talk a lot about how how angry I am. Um, and you know, she always suggests going to therapy, which is great. And I, I'm on a wait list to see a therapist and so hopefully that will happen. <laughs> but like, I tell, I tell her and I tell others, like organizing is my therapy. Like, this is the reason I wake up. This is right. like, it's actually good for me to be angry. If I weren't angry anymore, I wouldn't be a good organizer.
0: Yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, so, yeah. Tell me about how you got involved with Ridgewood Tenants Union.
1: Yes. Yeah, so uh, the Richwood Tenants Union is a group I started in 2014. And um, like that was a, a crazy year for Richwood and development in this neighborhood. Like a lot of developers were coming from like other parts of the city. You know, people who would like normally invest in Brooklyn and Manhattan
0: were
1: mm-hmm. coming here into the neighborhood. I mean, you know this, you know. Um, I
0: mean, that's right when I moved. And, you yeah.
1: Know. <laughs>
0: right. Thanks for like, got- changing. What'd you say?
1: Things were changing a lot.
0: Yeah. I mean, I I got bought out of my apartment in Williamsburg. I had a rent stabilized lease and I got bought out and I was like looking for what I could afford that was similar size. Yeah. And, you know, I've been, I've loved roses for such a long time that I was like, well, maybe I should just move near roses. You know, (laughs) (laughs) that pizza place is so fucking good, but um, yeah. (laughs) But yeah, I remember meeting one of my neighbors in the, in the hallway for the first time. Um, this Lady D, like a really classic, like Queens Irish lady who she was carrying her laundry down the stairs. And I was like, oh, uh, hey, D, you need a hand with that? And she was like, no, nah, I just throw it down the stairs mm-hmm. like a body. <laughs> and I was like, oh, cool. OK. And she's like, hey, where'd you move here from anyway? You know, and I was like, oh, I came from <laughs> uh, Williamsburg, you know, and I said it sheepishly. Yeah, because I knew, and she was like, "Oh yeah, why?" Mm. And I was like, "Uh, because I, 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 my, I got, my, they, they sold my building, and they, yeah. I, I don't have a lease anymore." And she was yeah. like, "Yeah, but why Ridgewood?" <laughs> and I was like, "Oh, I just like it here, you know. Like my uncle Mark used to live over there, and my cousin's boyfriend lived over here, and you know, Rosa's up the street is so good." And she was just like come here, come here. And she gave me a hug, you know, like, and I like, it was like, I had to prove some kind of bona fides that I wasn't just some, and I was just some dipshit is the thing. I just happened to know a few landmarks, but like, yeah. um, there was a real sense when I got there that people that had been there for a while were um, uh, suspicious. Yeah. Of like white interlopers, essentially white newcomers in a way that I, I like, um I, share susp- like I shared that suspicion even as I was one of them? Yeah, um, but yeah, it's definitely like, yeah, it felt like there was a sea change going on. And then it, I only lived there for yeah. three years before I moved to Texas, but um, I watched my entire building flip completely. Hmm. In the time you were
1: time. near, were you near, like you were on Catalpa or around Catalpa? No, or
0: I was on Fresh Pond in Catalpa, yeah,
1: yeah, okay. Yeah. Um I think people stopped being suspicious and then um just um became sort of uh I think people kind of like just maybe gave up a bit. Yeah. Um and and in two thousand fourteen I was kind of feeling like Tenants needed a bigger voice in the neighborhood because I started noticing more and more how my neighbors were being bought out, right? And for very little money, like mm-hmm. $5,000 for a rent-stabilized apartment, That that's nothing, you know, um, in terms of a buyout. But Yeah, not um, nothing at all. It is. No, it's, it's really nothing. And so I was noticing, like, all these issues that I never really opened my eyes to. I've lived in Richwood now 15 years. I've been in my rent-stabilized apartment now for um, seven or eight years. Um, I only came back home to, like, sleep from my organizing job, right? Like, I've, I've always yeah. worked in Manh- like um, in Brooklyn, um, like, Harlem, Harlem. Um, and I've always worked in all th- all these other neighborhoods. And so I just came home to sleep. Um, but I think that year I really started opening my eyes a little bit more and was more sort of like in tune with like what people were feeling in my neighborhood on my block. And so I just I started knocking on doors. I created a pamphlet. I remember my supervisor at um, my the job I had back then which is also the organization where I work now um he like fact checked my my pamphlet you know and I made started making copies of it started knocking on people's doors giving people the pamphlet that talked about what their rights were started having meetings with tenants in their buildings started organizing tenant associations um and it's, you know, it's been a lot of labor and it's been now, God, I don't do math. So s- since 2014, I don't know how many years that is, but I think it's like... Raquel, that's seven years. Seven years. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's so incredible. But, you know, it's an all-volunteer group and right. it's it's hard to do this work on a volunteer basis. I have, you know, I have a regular job also that's also yeah. very busy, I am I work for a legal service organization called Mobilization for Justice, um, also doing tenant organizing work. And so, you know, I'm very lucky because people who come into the group give so much to this work and we wouldn't be able to do anything without everyone's energy and labor, um, free labor, right? Because they, yeah. they really believe in the mission of growing people power in this neighborhood, Um I tell people about how like immigrant families, immigrant tenants, people of color have never been seen here, right? Because the local stakeholders and all the local politicians only advocate for white homeowners basically. Mm -hmm. Um, And for the first time, you know, in the last decade, there's now a group that's speaking to tenants and is like making sure that their voices are being heard. You know, again, we're very small. I tell, I tell people all the time that we're like, you know, that meme of the little kitten staring at the mirror and there's like a line that's staring back at them. That's no. us. <laughs> I love like that, a little though. kitten. Um, so we, yeah, we're a very small group, but we're doing really big things because we have a big vision for what we, what we want this neighborhood to be, you mm-hmm. know? And we want to create a neighborhood that like where everyone has access to affordable housing. Um, I think we'll, we'll get there. Um, and I think we'll only be able to do that if more, more people support the work that we do. Um, yeah.
0: So I think I probably have a outsized number of uh, Ridgewood white gentrifiers in my listenership. Yeah. Um, so I wonder, like, is there, what can they do to get involved if they're interested? Like what kind of, like how, what is, uh, what are some, obviously there's no answer to this, but like, you know, actually, no, forget that. Um, what if, if people that I, that I know or don't know that live in Ridgewood that are listening to this podcast though, want to get involved with the Ridgewood tenants union, um, what's the best way to do that?
1: Yeah, um, that's a good question. So we're in the process of, well, so we have a steering committee, right? So we're a group that centers people of color mm-hmm. and the base that we are really trying to grow is of immigrant families, black families um, in the neighborhood um, just um It's important for us to be very vocal about that. And I'm certainly always very vocal about that. Sure. Um, We do have a lot of members who especially have joined in the last year because last year we formed um, various mutual aid projects because we knew that once the pandemic really hit, shit was going to hit the fan. And immigrant families, especially undocumented folks, were not going to get any support from any of the systems out there um, built to provide people with a safety net. And so... We started organizing around um, um, around around that, and a lot of new people joined, and most of them are like white gentrifiers, right? Sure. Um, but after a lot of conversations, you know, everyone really understands that RTU is a group that's really trying to build up the power of people of color here. Um, and because we're all volunteer run, it's always hard, I think, to plug people into the work. But we are trying to do a, real, a better job at that. And so I think what people can do is definitely follow us on social media, because that's how people can learn about upcoming events. Mm-hmm. Um, but also just like log on to our website and just become a member. You know, there's a membership form on the website. Um, after you do that, you get placed on our email list. And then you start getting all the emails on a weekly basis about, you know, what meetings are happening in what week, etc. Um, donating is certainly important. I don't know how we did it. I mean, I do know because even though we're a small group, not to toot my own horn, but even though we're a small group, I think people do really respect our transparency and the fact that we try hard, you know, to do this work. Mm-hmm. And so last year in March, we started doing grassroots fundraising and we've raised over $80,000 and we've never raised, we've never raised money, never, because all the work comes out of our own pocket. Everything comes out of all the expenses, right. Come out of our own pockets. Um, But last year we started organizing, um, you know, mutual aid projects and um, started fundraising and we've raised over $80,000. A lot of it was spent on buying food for our neighbors. Uh Um, but we still have some there that we're going to continue to use for food. We have a community fridge. We have a homeless outreach project. Um, We do eviction defense work. We organize tenants in their buildings. Uh, We do know your rights trainings. Um, If people want to continue to support this work, but they can't really get involved, they should donate if they can. Sure. Um, We have a March coming up for May day. I don't know when you will air this, but um, It'll
0: it'll be days before May day.
1: Yeah. So, yeah, we have a big March for International Workers Day. But um, but yeah, no, I mean, we have we organize shit like that all the time. So um, people should just try and get involved um, in whatever way they can. Even like just sharing a tweet is good enough.
0: I think, you know, it shows you care. Let's um, let's set the bar a little higher than good enough. But that is um, the bare minimum.
1: Right. No. So, yeah, (laughs) I'm always too nice about it. Which is weird because, like, I've yelled at white people who wouldn't even want to get a flyer from me on the street. Like, right. I should stop doing that. But <laughs> um, but no, I think, you know, white people, people who move into this neighborhood, whatever race you are, if you are, like, good, right, if you're set, if you're middle class coming into a working class neighborhood, um, where a lot of people are color, of color are being burdened um, by how high the rent is getting, mm-hmm. um, you really need to join your local tenants group and go to a meeting, get to know the people, you know, yeah. in this group. I've had such awful times sometimes with people that don't do that bit of research um, and then who get defensive when we say, we've been here, where were you, you know? Um We've had groups who've like co-opted our work here in this neighborhood. I don't know if I can like call out people, but I would love to take this opportunity to call
0: out people. Oh, I love talking shit. Yeah, do go for it.
1: Like when we organized our very first March, we actually worked for a bit with Todd P.,
0: I'm sure <laughs> you know, <laughs> fuck, fuck you. that guy. Fuck oh Todd P. Fuck Todd P. I what? don't
1: fucking care. <laughs> I'm saying it right now. Yeah, no, well, no, I- no, no,
0: no. I've been saying that. Fuck that
1: guy. Seriously. So, in 2016, we worked together for a bit because we had a march and we were working with some youth and we used his space. But then on our Facebook group, we put up a post talking about like all the symbols of gentrification that we were seeing along Wyckoff Avenue. And at that time was when like a lot of more music venues and cafes and art stuff was happening and like opening up.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And in that post, we likened trans Picos to one of these symbols and he got so fucking pissed. He got so pissed that he started talking shit about me on his Twitter account. <laughs> he said, he said that I hacked the trans Picos Twitter account to put up this rant that I had posted <laughs> On my own Twitter account, um, he'd said I called his family to harass him, which is so ridiculous, so ridiculous. But he was just like her, right? That we were, he said, disparaging his business.
0: Yo, this um, motherfucker has been actively involved in gentrifying so many different neighborhoods right? at this point.
1: I call him the indie developer. He's like an indie developer, basically. Just have right. a little
0: bit of humility. Just have a little bit of humility, you know?
1: Yeah, it's so crazy. Um, and so he like started talking shit on me and I, I call I called him out on social media. Like I wrote a whole post screenshotting like our whole conversation on Facebook Messenger or whatever. And he got so pissed. And that's when he started <laughs> saying I called his family to like yell at them and harass them and I hacked his Twitter account. Like, why the fuck do I want to like hack your Twitter account? That's so ridiculous. Um and we were telling him, like, show us the proof of what you're saying. And of course right. he didn't come up with anything
0: there is no Um, proof
1: so that's like one of the awful experiences we've had with like people that just don't understand what this is about it's not about them right um it's about like tenants that are being literally violently evicted from their apartments and how do we stop that from happening um
0: right yeah or not the funny thing but like the like a person like todd p who has a bunch of cultural cachet has a space and has, uh, like, access to all different people's ears. Yeah. If he wasn't being a little dipshit about it and was just, like, could take the L every now and again and be like, yeah, you know what? I did actually participate in gentrification in right. Williamsburg and Bushwick and Ridgewood. Um, instead of just having to frame the whole, it's like, the it is baffling to me that uh middle-class white person or pretend upper, upper class, maybe who knows what Todd P's financial situation is, but I'm imagining it's, he's got a lot of dough, um, can go into a neighborhood like Ridgewood, especially like that south part of Ridgewood on Wyckoff where Transpicos uh-huh. is and be like, oh like yeah, no. I'm, real estate. Yeah, yeah, fuck that. Fuck that dude, I I'll think break that- your glasses. Does he wear glasses? He probably does. He's older than Hi, I am. P, I'm gonna break your glasses if I see you. I th- I I'm gonna,
1: th- I'm gonna break his glasses if I ever see. The thing is, like, I always fear that I'm gonna run into him and hurt him. So I better, <laughs> I, that better not happen because I remember I, I did run into him and he gave me like the meanest glare, like he wanted to kill me. And that's when he went on Twitter to talk shit about me. That was back yeah. in 2016. But um, I think. After so after I put this shit online, a bunch of people started messaging me about all the other awful shit he'd done to them. And oh,
0: yeah, he fucked over so yeah. many people, so
1: many. And like no one says shit about it, but whatever. It's, you know, it's really infuriating that people like that um, can't just admit it. You know, like they are part of the problem. You can just admit it. Right. Just
0: just say it. Right. Um, okay. Like we Uh, can, we can all move on from that.
1: Exactly. Just say it. Um, but yeah, we've had other like weird things like that happen and like, you know, there's this group called Woodbine that, I don't know, people are (laughs) going to be, you know, Woodbine.
0: (laughs) Oh yeah.
1: Oh my God. People are, Oh my God. I probably shouldn't say (laughs) this, but
0: I know, um, say whatever you're going to say. I'm, I know a lot of the, like I grew up with some of those people and I may, um, choose to leave this out of the interview just full disclosure you
1: know uh, matt right so i met with him and this other guy named glenn who opened woodbine with him mm -hmm. and um i went to meet with them because we wanted a space for tenants to meet uh to meet at and The whole meeting was just horrible. He was, like, talking down to me, saying, you should do this, you should do that. Like, you're not even from here, and you're not even an organizer. So, like, what? why the fuck are you telling me how I should do this? Um, And then months later, he started his own group called the Richwood Tenants and Neighbors Association. Took out a website called richwoodtenants.org, an email that said richwoodtenants at Gmail. People, like, had been trying to contact us thinking... You know they were reaching out to you, and they would like email them, <laughs> um, and they weren't doing any shit. They would just like go to the community board meetings and talk about how like Richwood shouldn't be a destination neighborhood, like using all the things that we were saying that Richwood should be livable for everyone, etc. Like, I don't know how you can do that and call yourself a white ally. You know, I I just don't.
0: Yeah, that's that's, yeah, fuck. Yeah, um, that's real. But I, yeah,
1: so just shit like that happens here yeah. in this neighborhood and, you know, it, it's so maddening,
0: but, you know, whatever. From an organizing standpoint, like, what is the work that RTU is doing? And like, what are some projects you're working on and some goals that you have in the community?
1: Yeah, so, um, you know, the work we do is all to build the power of people in this neighborhood and... um you know, we do a lot of in, um, we do a lot of uh, trainings around knowing your rights as a tenant. Um, we hold meetings where you know we try and do as much political education as possible. We have campaigns that address how gentrification is just taking over the neighborhood. Um, we put developers on blast. Um, we Yeah, we we do a bunch of stuff. We have like some mutual aid projects. Um, We have a community fridge that we run. We do outreach to our homeless neighbors uh, twice a week. Um, It's, you know, we're a small group, but we're trying to do a lot. And I think it's moving along fairly well. Um, And uh, it's all about making sure that Richwood is no longer A racist neighborhood basically um that's like the very foundation of of this neighborhood unfortunately
0: what an uphill Um, battle
1: yeah it's a lot to deal with um basically all the local politicians and all the stakeholders that have a say in you know how this neighborhood um, shows up for people they're all extremely you know Conservative and else to say it—they're racist—and um, we don't want any of that. And so that's what we're working to um, to fight back against. Um, and yeah, and it's an uphill battle, but I think we're 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 doing it or we're trying our best.
0: Yeah, I love that. I'm so glad that you're out there trying your best. Thank you. <laughs> um, is there anything else that you want? to say before we wrap up anything i forgot to mention fuck todd p fuck todd p fuck woodbine but
1: woodbine is certainly doing great things right like they're they have a food pantry it's providing food to our neighbors i think that's mm-hmm. a very good thing to do um yeah they don't come at it from an organizing framework unfortunately or at least from what I see but there's sure. many folks who keep that ship running and they're you know I give it up to them for sure um, but when you come into a neighborhood a working class neighborhood when there's already a group that's being led by people of color you make sure to also reach out to them right like I feel like for me there's never there's never a gray area it's just black and white for me so it's mm-hmm. like you're either in or you're out like you either support the group that's being led by people of color or you're not doing that at all. And you're like, not on our side, basically, I know, that's like a really intense way of like, looking at things. um, But that's always how I've looked at everything in the world. Like, there's, you're either in
0: or you're out, you know? Sure. Um, And I think like, even if I think the reality of everything is so much more nuanced than that, I, I and like, like, I keep saying, like, you keep being like, is it this or is it this? And I three times in this conversation, I said, well, I think it's a little bit of both. So like, that's clearly my personality. Yeah. Um, I think there's a, like, I think you make a good point, regardless of whether it's as stark as you put it. Like yeah. if, if you're not working in coal, if you come into a neighborhood and you're not working with coal in coalition with the already existing POC organizers in that neighborhood,
1: Then what are you doing? Like, seriously, like, what are you doing? I think it's a different time, right? Like, I wouldn't have said, I wouldn't be thinking in this way a year or two ago, right? But, like, the pandemic has just, like, ravaged entire communities. Yeah. And, like, you really need to sit with yourself and think about, like, how are you going to be someone who's working towards creating, like, real transformative change, right? Mm -hmm um and i think you only have to you like the only way to do that i think is like organizing with people of color right there are the ones who are like the most impacted by evictions and homelessness um and all these other fucked up shit um all this other fucked up shit in society um like one i'll just say one example of this is like you know, there's like a Facebook group, a Richwood uh, community Facebook group. And I kind of was like arguing with some white women there who are like, we love Bob Holden because and Robert Holden is like our local elected official, our council member. He's mm-hmm. racist as fuck. Um, he like wants to repeal the chokehold ban in New York City. Like that's oh how fucked up. God. He is. And so he does he believes in um, broken windows. So he does a lot of graffiti cleanups and like garbage cleanup and all that stuff. And so these white ladies are like, yeah, we support him. We we like Robert Holden because he's cleaning up the neighborhood. But I'm like, what are you talking about? He's also a fucking racist who hates black people. So like, why are you saying you support this guy? Right. You know, like that to me is violent. You know, you're saying, you know, we support him because he cleans up shit in our neighborhood. But yeah, we don't like the other stuff he believes in. You can't say that anymore, right? Because no, he's no. a fucking racist. So you can't be like, oh, yeah, he's OK on this thing, on this issue. But like on other things, like we don't want to support him. But you do support him. You're putting up on a, you're putting him up on this pedestal, you know, because he like removes graffiti from our walls. Yeah, I don't know. I just say it, it makes me so angry. Yeah, for that's sure. why I say there's no middle ground for me.
0: Yeah, no, I hear that. And I, I wonder, I think, like, I joke all the time about, like, if if uh, last month I talked about breaking a 50-year-old guy's glasses, um, this month I talked about breaking Todd P.'s glasses, and I always joke, like, hey, you know, if, like, if through, like, the chain of listeners, uh, you know, Todd P. ends up hearing this, like, I want you to know I'll break your glasses or whatever. Yeah. Um, that's, like, an ongoing joke that I have because I don't think Todd P. will ever hear this podcast, actually. <laughs> um, I mean, I will, Todd P., if you're listening, I will break your glasses if you have glasses. And if not, I'm going to do I'll that. I'll you. I'll flat tire you or something. Is that what you do when you um, step on the back of someone's shoe while they're walking? I'll do something. Yeah. Hard. We can tabletop Todd P. You know what that is? That's when I, w- when I kneel down behind him and then you push him over me. No, um, yeah. I would love to do that. Yeah, okay, we can do that. So Todd P., if you're listening, me and Raquel are going to tabletop you. But um, joking aside, I think it's likely – if I do end up including all this stuff about Woodbine that someone from Woodbine will hear this because these people are 100% in my, like my social world and they're people, some of whom I've known for 20 years. Yeah. And so I appreciate the kind of measured, um, you know, when like when we got done like dishing that you were like, no, I see the good work they do or whatever. But um, what I wonder is because some of them might be listening, is there, is there something that, that you, want to ask of them or something that they can do or a way that they can reach out to RTU to, to say, like, how do we make up for, like, can we start from, you know what I mean? Like how do we make yeah. our organizations get along? Is that something that is possible? Should, if one of them hears this, should they send you an email and say, Hey, I heard you perhaps. talking shit. What can I, think I do? Perhaps,
1: Yeah, no. And I, you know, and I just want to say, I'm, I'm here doing this just, as an individual, even though I am also maybe, rep- I mean, I am also representing this group, um, but I feel like um, we need an acknowledgement of what they've done, right? right. Like a public acknowledgement of what they've what they've done. Um, they've they're literally just like by them co-opting the work of this group, they belittle the work, right? Mm-hmm. They're also like working with like local stakeholders who like hate people of color right like Kathy Nolan our local assembly member who's been in power since I was born who like never wants to vote on or doesn't is never wanting to be proactive on tenants rights legislation like universal rent control and the eviction moratorium and council rent like she donates money to them you know like that's fucked up in my eyes Um, to be like working hand in hand with like the community board and like I don't know, these other politicians, but you're still claiming you're like an anarchist or communist or whatever the fuck you are. I don't know. You know, Um, I think it's just like, it's um, it works against um, the spirit of what our group is, you know? Yeah. Um, And a public acknowledgement of, I think of of that would be a good way to start to um, uh, maybe work towards building a relationship that's like, you know, workable. <laughs> I mean, I could have been more eloquent in how I framed all of this, but it, um, it just, it, it's actually hurtful, you know, because they've gained so much validity and they haven't done any of the work. And that's why it hurts so much. Fuck. Right, to the point where it makes me want to cry. Yeah. That's um, huge because I put a lot of, you know, um, work into this, um, like, I got a knife pulled on me after a march we did to Robert Holden's house, you know? Like, that's how serious it fucking is. Right. And when they say the same shit we've been saying since 2014, no one's going to pull a knife on them because they're white. They're white gentrifiers, you know? And so
0: mm-hmm.
1: it's it really hurts.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Fuck. Like uh, they were
1: going to the community board meeting saying Richwood should not should like be livable for everyone, literally like the main thing on our pamphlet. And like the district manager would never even look at me. I would go to those meetings constantly. The president of the community board would never. I was on the community board and he wouldn't even he wouldn't even look at me. But here comes Glenn and Matt and like they get up for them to hug them like fuck that, you know. But of course me, a brown woman who's saying all these, all the same things they're saying, doesn't even get any respect, you know? Um, that's fucked up, I think.
0: Do you think, and I'm I'm genuinely thinking out loud here, do you think that there's a utility in, um, and obviously this would require the relationship between you guys to not be contentious, yeah. but do you think that there's a utility in white allies using their whiteness as a way like a Trojan horse or whatever. That's, this is, I'm saying this really badly, but like, um, kind of to, to make ideas seem to advance ideas, uh, by POC activists and thinkers, uh, to seem more palatable to other white people in power. Like, do you think that's a good strategy? Only
1: if they're actually, only if they actually mean it.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: which I, you know, they set it for like, I mean, their group, what they did is, um, you know, they started this group of their own, um, took out a website, an email account, and then they started having these, like, talks about gentrification at Topos um, and at the library, but it was all just white people talking about gentrification, and that's all they did. They just had, like, three meetings, and then that's it, but kept the website up for years, Um so, like, if, if, if they can, like, say shit that they actually mean, that would be great. Mm-hmm. Um, but they didn't do that, you know? Sure. Yeah. And now, you know, everyone's like, oh, my God, they're so great. They're giving, pe- like, bags of food to people. But, like, anyone can fucking do that, you know?
0: Right. I mean, it's we still, did, we're it's,
1: doing it, you know?
0: It's still good to give people bags of food. But, um, it is
1: but like you've but, yeah, got such a captive audience that you're not even organizing that's just to me that's just such a waste you know sure yeah that's a little harsh but you know
0: I think that's, I commend them I think that's maybe a little harsh
1: <laughs> I commend them for doing the shit they're doing but yeah like, yeah no I get, I get what you're saying you know? I think
0: I also get just like how it might feel st- frustrating to be like, I have been doing this shit for X number of years, for seven years or whatever.
1: No, I've been, well, yeah, but I've been like, you know, this living is in like what like I for do. Years. Yeah. Don't belittle our work by working against us, you know? At least don't do that.
0: Yeah. And you think that working with the assemblywoman and like taking money from her and going to the city council meetings is working against you?
1: It is because our local politicians just are not are not our friends. Yeah,
0: they're white supremacists. Um,
1: they're not our friends. Yeah, and I know they're like trying to infiltrate or whatever, and that like that's their thing. But like, I don't think that's how you create change. You know, you create change with like the m- those that are most affected, right, by these issues. Mm-hmm. Um.
0: And it's got to be the bottom up, not from the top down,
1: exactly from the bottom up. And it's got to be more than handing people bags of food. I'm sorry.
0: Etc., etc. You get it. Um, I'm not gonna keep screaming because my throat is. I don't know how to do that anymore. Like, I used to sing in punk bands. I could do that shit, but I can't anymore. Anyway, maybe I gotta keep practicing and sing in a hardcore band again. Uh, now that I'm pushing motherfucking 40. I don't know. Sorry, I'm rambling. The point is, the episode's over. Thank you for listening. Thank you to Raquel for uh, being my friend, for being funny, for being charming, for being a great interview. Thank you to Huasi Pongo for uh, this fantastic song that I have moshed to before. Um, I highly recommend, if you haven't listened to them, just go on the Internet Archive and listen to their discography. It's there for free. You can download it, put it on your iPad Nano, and listen to it while you jog or whatever I don't know what do people do when do people listen to music Um, thank you to La Cara Occulta from Gainesville Florida who wrote the theme song years before the show even existed and um, no thanks to all dipshits um, and racists and shitheads Uh, no cops no creeps no borders fuck ice free Palestine fire to the prisons I'm out